If you're thinking about starting a podcast, let us tell you about Anchor. First off, it's free, and you can record and edit your show through your computer or phone, or import your show from whatever recording software you already use. Anchor will then distribute your show for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And probably the best part, you can start making money with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to start a podcast from start to finish in one place, and it was a super easy switch for us. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Welcome back to episode six of LA Not So Confidential. I'm really sorry that it's been this long since we got another episode out. It's not my fault. It's Shiloh's fault. We were. <laughs> I think the last two episodes we keep apologizing. Yeah, that's okay. That's our regular thing. But it really is Shiloh's fault. It's not my fault. We had you had some sports thing. What? You had some sport thing. We were supposed to record on a Sunday, and there was some like. Oh. What was that? Um, the Super Bowl. What is that? <laughs> Don't look at me with that deadpan face. Is that, no. is that, what sport is that? That's the one called, fo- that's the football. That's the one where they chase the ball yes. with their feet, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it that's is. That's the one. It's not the one with the sticks. It's football, oh right? Yes. Yes. That's You're li- right. That's literally as much as I know about football. And I was I was a cheerleader for the USFL Birmingham Stallions. I know well, nothing about and football. And when I was a cheerleader in high school, they would yell at me, Shiloh, it's time to do the routine. And I'd be standing there just watching the football game. <laughs> I just snorted. That's awesome. No, we both have been traveling. Yeah. And we... Um, our real jobs take up a lot of time. It's hard to get together. They do. they do. And we're in lovely downtown, well, LA. close to downtown, uh, yeah. suburb of Los Angeles right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we're back. We're back. Um, so this week, the subject, the focus of our episode is going to be on uh, therapists, psychologists, mental health uh, professionals in portrayed in media and in entertainment. So we're going to talk not too much about, well, a little bit about pundits, people who are invited to come on and make commentary, because that's kind of a big deal right now um, with people making uh, commentary on conjecture of what they believe a public figure's or a celebrity's mental right. health status is. That's been going on for, for years, actually. Did you and, guys talk about that in grad school at all as far as... No, it never came Should up. Should you stay away from that or what it means to your career to do something like that? I remember having a, a we had a, we didn't get it in school, but we had a supervisor that mm-hmm. said, you know, I would, you know, you really need to be careful about that. Right. And I can, I can see both sides of it, but I think, um, I think that there's, um, there's some value in making commentary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'll say that there's, there's one, uh, do you know, Keith Abloh? No. Dr. Keith Abloh, no. he's on a particular news channel mm-hmm. a lot, and the guy is a complete quack. I mean, just in everything that comes out of his mouth is like, I don't even know how he has a license. I yeah. really don't even know how he has that, a license. That was really the warning to us, just to you know not be a talking head. It, it, and I think it was more in kind of ethics-based, um, you know, you don't want to get on TV and you know, ever analyze anyone that is not sitting in front of you that you're doing an assessment on. Okay. But interestingly enough, because we work, we, we, as forensic psychologists, Mm -hmm. that is something that we do. The times that I've testified and I've had to go, you know, when I've had to go on the stand as 
someone who has had multiple interactions with someone who's severely mentally ill and Mm -hmm. a danger to themselves, a danger to others, you know, we have a hearsay law that says, well, you can't, you can't um, use anything that's hearsay. It has to be about your interactions only. Right. And my counter to that, and it has worked a couple of times, has been, well, then you're negating my entire training because my training is for me to look at all of the information from these multiple sources and put Mm -hmm. together, not, I mean, put together a profile, not saying that I'm profiling, but put together a profile. And in spite of how this person is presenting to you right now, what's their likelihood of continuing these behaviors or decompensating in the, in the community. Sure. So I think we get a mixed message. I, I do too. And there are some um, areas of our discipline where we do have to do that. And it, it's how you verbalize the information that you're giving, you know, here are my observations about this person. And that could mean that they could, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to, because you're commenting on behaviors. You're commenting right? on behaviors and your direct observations, but if you're not doing, um, you're not giving assessment tools to go along with that, just like you couldn't if you were, you know, trying to decipher someone's personality or um, assess them psychologically on television or through television, um, you would just have to go off of observations and say that people who act like this typically have this type of disorder or something like that. That, saying, and, and that was my yeah. supervision as well years ago was right. if you're going, you speak in terms of the behavior and speaking in almost in uh metaphor. Well, a, yeah. or a person who acts this way yeah. has a tendency to be dot, dot, dot. Well, we even write our reports that way a lot of time. It's, right. You know, individuals with that score like this tend to act like this. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I remember after... After graduating and I was working for a company doing trainings for law enforcement, um, and they were really just kind of starting and getting on their feet as a company, them calling me up and saying, hey, would you ever want to, you know, if they need somebody for the news or to comment on something, is that something that we could put your name out there for? And I was like, nope. I don't know. It just, I was not interested. And I think not having the confidence, that was a good move for me to say no. Um, Maybe, I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, my journey through that as somebody who was a performer for a while, um, I mean, and having some insight into my, hopefully some insight after this much <laughs> work <laughs> is the idea that, you know, that was really attractive at first yeah, because it was sort of appealing to a part of me that I feel like probably now is somewhat more evolved and also because I'm so passionate about the work that I do in other areas. It's like, who has time to do that? Right. Um, and I think that there are some people we won't, we didn't even really talk about commenters true uh, for today, but there are some great ones out there. Yeah. Catherine, is it Catherine Ragsland who she's on the Netflix? There's a Netflix show, occult crimes that is being produced out of France. Mm hmm. And they have, which is interesting because they have some European psychiatrists and psychologists that they subtitle and translate. And Catherine Rags, Catherine Raglan has some commentary that I think is done really well. Yeah. You know, and she's doing, she's commenting on what she's seeing in the reports and the paperwork right. and the history and stuff. So I, I think that's very interesting. Well, and at the end of the day, you don't um, get a choice of how it's edited either. So, yeah. you know, you so, and I have complete control over this, or so we think. <laughs> yeah, well, that's something, you know, but, that was a thing that was amazing to me working in post-production um, is how much control a producer and an editor working together in an editing bay have over the final you know, it's it's sort of legendary. They talk about Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe right. could have moments of brilliance, but overall she was incredibly inconsistent. But they got enough footage to where a really talented editor could put together this amazing performance. So that's sure. kind of cool. But in this world of reality television and, you know, getting the most salacious thing out there. Exactly. Um, especially with, with, with reality, what's going on is they... It's all fake. I mean, oh, I, all reality. I, mean I, I hope scripted, it's all scripted, edited, and, yeah, performed. Yeah. Yeah. So this topic, we had put it out there, I think, on Facebook and Twitter a while ago asking people, hey, what are some prominent 
roles of therapists that you remember in films that were either ridiculous or um, you just want thoughts about how they went about doing their job. And we kind of um, sat on this for a while. And then this new Fox TV show, 911, started up, which I wanted to be excited about because I think it's from the creators of American Horror Story. Yes. So I thought, okay, this is going to probably be done fairly well. Um, I tend not to watch TV shows about first responders anyway, but it looked good. I mean, the why is that? Um, probably for a lot of the same reason we're going to get into today, but it just because I know the job so well, it drives me nuts to okay. watch it. Um, but um, I anyway, I just wanted it to be good, and I got through one episode. It was okay. Um, and then this there's this episode where a young firefighter has a couple of tragic situations on a shift. And he's sitting down with sort of the older mentor firefighter. And the older gentleman says, you know, you don't have to talk to me, but you need to talk to someone. And hands him a business card. And I thought... Is this the kid from the Badlands? Isn't this the, is, is he the sex addict? Yes. Okay. So before yes. we even get to that episode, and I, I yes. enjoy it because I don't, I don't have as much of that specific emergency responder as you right. have in your law enforcement background, so I can suspend disbelief, oh except gosh. for the damn driving the he's you know trying to hook up with a girl he saw in a car, so he's driving a fire truck, chasing through. up to her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, Are you it, it's me? insane. A single guy <laughs> with this long ass fire truck, and he's careening through downtown LA, and that is just like. It's in, yeah. Yeah, that was that. There's so mm. much about it, but so I thought, fantastic. He's going to go to a psychologist. Um, and he does. And by the end of the session, they're having sex in her office. <sighs> I didn't see that one. So here I had such high hopes. And once again, um, as we'll see, just sexualization of mental health clinicians. Um, and especially in this kind of first responder uh, dynamic. So, I mean, you remember the departed. It's disturbing. I mean, that well, the departed pisses me off because I'm like, a, if I could stalk Vera Farmiga, I would. I, I love think her. She's freaking amazingly talented. I love her. Um, I don't know, and I'm not really sure why I like her so much. I think it's because she's non-traditionally beautiful, mm -hmm. and every character she has is very strong. Yes, and she makes bold choices. And yes, and I and the departed. I'm totally on board with it. When I first meet her as a therapist, and she's not taking any shit. Yep, off Leonardo DiCaprio. Yep. I'm like her little yes. three piece suit outfit. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah, she's great. <laughs> and then. What is she ends up sleeping with both of them? Well, with yeah, she ends up starting a relationship with Matt Damon. They eventually like move in together, but then I guess the board of behavioral sciences <laughs> in, in, in Massachusetts is is different from California. And then she gives Leo like a prescription for drugs just because he asked for it. So oh, like, what, what was it? Xanax? She's like, like, yeah, yeah I was like, okay, well, shut up, and I'll just give. Yeah, I, fine. You shut up if I give you this. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that's that's the way it works. And then he shows up to her house and. They end up having sex, you know, as she's like kind of torn. Do I move in with Matt Damon? And I mean, it, it's hey, just, if Leo and Matt are in front of you, no, no, saying. not even, <laughs> not even, not even. But and, and that, I also think it's, I mean, you know, in a to even go farther afield in a discussion about you know patriarchy and and gender politics, you know. Generally, we're going to have, I mean, it just seems like the majority of therapists and mental health clinicians portray in, portrayed in media are not written as men. True. They're written as women. True. And then there's always this this continuing, you know, patriarchal trope that goes through that women are not, that they're not able to contain themselves, that they're not able to control themselves right. and adhere to these ethical standards, which you and I, in school in California, and we have the highest standards in California yes. for licensure than any place else in the country, regardless if your school is APA accredited or not. Right. We all have to pass the same tests and the same kind of CEUs each year. So it's it's just unrealistic that you don't know about this. Right. Or that, that's, I'm sorry, that not you, that the character doesn't yeah. know about this. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I... I don't know. I, I just, I don't know what it is. I mean, obviously it hits a nerve with me because of working in law enforcement psychology. Um, 
but just what it what is it about that that someone writes into a film or TV show that is going to be interesting? Okay, that Okay, that's an interesting question. I didn't think you were going to go there, but let's talk about that for yeah. one second. So it's the idea that somebody's somebody's creating this. It's a mm-hmm. it's 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 either a the script is either an adaptation of an existing work, which I think The Departed was. I think The Departed was a successful novel, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's just something like in the trope of a television show. It's part of the story arc that right. these, these things happen, and. Uh, although it's awesome that there are more women writers in Hollywood right now than there have ever been and that we need more, it's still not even at the, I think, not even at the 30% mark. Gotcha. So those writing rooms are primarily staffed by men. So I'm just going to take a wild leap here and mm-hmm. say and make an assumption that that's a lot of unresolved sure. male shit. Sure. That's like, okay, how am I going to portray my character opening up to someone else. So it can't be opening up to a guy. So it's going to be opening up to a woman and but she's got to be hot. She's got to be hot. Mm -hmm. And now that I've opened up to her, we have to have sex. I mean, like, so that, that discussion about sort of men not being able to deal with intimacy, unless it's going to lead to physical intimacy. Sure. I mean, maybe that's something that needs to be talked about more. Sure. I think so. I mean, because it's not just the one, you know, sex addict character. I mean, I kind of get that that's a piece of it. Um, but you also, that's low hanging fruit. Like let's get some sort of hot guy, relatively hot. He doesn't really do it for Uh, you. Um, and get him to be this sort of, you know, out of control guy. And then, and then they resolve it. They like resolve it within two episodes that he's contained, <laughs> right? you know, because he went to, I don't know. It's yeah. Just, it pisses me off. Yeah. It's, and I just want to give a um, quick shout out to the bike patrol, the department where I work at, you know who you are, because they reminded me of also bad boys Two, where Will Smith goes to see a therapist. Who's and his up, therapist in that? I don't remember. It's, it's a real quick, like flashback. But Martin Lawrence sees his therapist, and she's kind of the stereotypical, like, older therapist, buttoned up, glasses, bun in her hair. And then Will Smith gets, like, the hot Latina, like, that's going to do, quote-unquote, therapy with him. (laughs) But anyway, they reminded me of that one, too. Okay. And, yeah. Just a little disappointment. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously. And, you know, and and in doing research, since we got the suggestion from our colleague or from our um, follower, Mm -hmm. there's so much to choose from. I mean, we could could have a a three-hour podcast, which we're not going to subject anyone to. But we did come up with some ones that both of us felt very strongly about. And I... We're going to... So we're not going to be... We're not going to... We're going to kind of free flow it today instead of going... Good, bad, ugly. We'll be back and forth. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I wanted to start out with a big example of one that's not fictional, although sometimes I wish he was fictional. <laughs> and that's um, Dr. Phil McGraw. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, I have I have some strong feelings about that. Um, have to give it to him as being an incredibly successful uh, businessman, like incredibly successful businessman. This is somebody who for over 20 years after collaborating with Oprah on, what was it? I think it was the, it was the hamburger scandal. What was that? Um, great. You have me on the spot now. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember all of the details. What happened was it was, that was right at the beginning of the, where people were really becoming very aware of what was in their food. Mm-hmm. And Oprah had a guest on that was either a nutritionist or something was talking about processed meats. And basically in a nutshell, she turned to the camera and said, well, that's it. I'm never having a hamburger again. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Right, so right. you guys don't, don't Reddit burn me on this one. Oprah lovers. Yeah. But what happened was she got sued by, um, like the American. Oh, that's right. Agriculture, not uh, agriculture, but it was like the the meat sort of version. The of meat that. Version. It was. The, it was. It was some kind of like yeah, I you know, association of uh, cattle yeah, farmers. Yeah, that's right. And they really, it was in Texas, and they took her. I mean, it was a huge lawsuit, and um, which I 
think was ridiculous because like it, you know, how did that didn't affect the industry at all. And most of our sales of beef go overseas anyway. Right. So what difference to make? But um, Phil McGraw at the time was a consultant for a firm, for a turn, for a, a firm in Texas. Mm-hmm. And he was highly recommended as how are you going to spin this? And he's, has a doctorate in psychology. Right. Um, and that was the beginning. I think actually he gave, apparently she kept him waiting. This is the, the anecdotal story is that she kept him waiting while she was very busy, very busy, very busy. And he kind of got up after, I think, waiting close to an hour and walked over to the assistant and said, well, you can tell her she wants to talk to me. Um, give me a call. I'm out of here. My time is valuable or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the assistant scurries off and then he was allowed in. And I think that there was sort of this power to power meeting. Right. But with my view is there's some pathology there, but look, I mean, I'll tell you, I, my beef with him has to do a lot with our, (laughs) Oh, ha ha. My, one of my problems with him has to do with the fact that, um, He has done some unethical things Mm -hmm. and at one point lost his license and was fined by the state as a result. And um, And what was the loss of license for? Oh, if I it was about uh, crossing a boundary. It was like like having a relationship. Either he was dating a former client or he hired. I don't you know what? I don't want to speak out of turn. I mean, it's it's matter of public record and I don't want to spend. But yeah, I mean, my main problem is, is that I and I do respect this. It's like a show is a show. It's entertainment. And you've got to keep viewers in. So how do you keep viewers in and how do you keep it interesting? Because ultimately what people don't realize is that, you know, when you're in therapy and you're the star of your own show, it doesn't feel boring. It can feel a lot of things. It can feel frustrating. It can feel. But the actual watching of the process is watching two people talk. Right. And that's not inherently interesting. Right. Right. So how do you keep it interesting? You have sort of salacious and. Sure. And if you're stuff. unlicensed, then you're not adhering by any guidelines. Exactly. You have a doctorate, so you can call yourself you doctor. Can, but. And there's also issues like follow up, like, you know, you, the, the metaphor I use in, in session Mm-hmm. And this is uh, this is not avoidable. But a lot of times in session, I have to say, I want to be very careful about unwrapping a package that I can't put back together. I can't promise okay. you that every week you're going to walk out feeling better. There are some weeks you're going to feel sure. very bad. Sure. But at 50 minutes into a session, which is one minute before the session ends, we're not going to start talking about something that then opens up Pandora's box. And and I, and I'm wondering what's going to be happening to you for the rest of the afternoon or evening. So I don't think there's a lot of backup and support on the show. They say that there is for follow through, but you know, can you imagine what that consent form looks like? Oh my gosh. Probably like you are going to walk out. (laughs) You can walk out of here damaged, whatever. I mean, I'm sure people just sign their, sign it all away. Yeah. I mean, for Jerry Springer, they do they, yeah. you know, for a lot of people on sh- some shows like that. It's the first time I've ever been on an airplane. It's the first time I've ever stayed in a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Phil is a little, little higher grade, right. but one of the things, and I've seen it, two things that stick out. I mean, and this is two things over the handful of times I've watched the show. <clears throat> there was one years ago about, um, a set of parents, very, very conservative, very religious, and they had, you know, they just could not accept that their adult son was gay. They just could not accept it. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Phil, and you, you might not under, not, might not know where I'm going with this, but Dr. Phil kind of got in their face with his little folksy thing and saying, you know, you need to accept him and da 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 and really shamed them. And... I had a problem with that, you know. I had a problem with that as as a as a gay man, right? Because yes, this that son deserves better treatment. However, these two people in their mid fifties, coming from a very limited perspective, this is all they know. Every fiber of their being, every tenet of their faith, is built on the fact that their son, who they love, is going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. So that really angered me that 
that for one that they would approach it this way on the show. Right. And, and just like a confrontation is going to fix exactly, it. Like a confrontation is not going to fix that. No. It just, you know, all you've done is now shame these people on television. There are a lot of ways that could have been done better. Yeah. You know, there could have been, you know, an organic conversation that maybe not, maybe wouldn't be as, would have, wouldn't have been as interesting, but exactly. would have been a lot more therapeutic. And that really, that really turned my stomach, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. you know, you want the best for the parents and they weren't, they didn't come across as particularly bad people or malicious. They were just, this is their perspective, you know? And the other one was more recent when he had Shelley Duvall on, who is an actress. For those of you who don't know, Shelley Duvall is a, an actress that her most famous and defining role was as Jack Nicholson's wife in the shining. And yeah, she's olive oil. Yeah. She was in olive oil. She had her own amazing PBS, uh, television show that was um live action fairy tales oh, for kids yeah. it was it was an amazing show she's a was a very gifted woman and something has happened along the way and i'm not like we were saying earlier i'm not going to conjecture on what mm-hmm. if there's any diagnostic stuff going on there but the woman was not in good shape yeah. i mean she was physically looked ill and morbidly obese and the tone of her skin was I mean, and it's also like they didn't make any effort to make her look presentable. And she may have been hallucinating or responding to internal stimuli. We don't know. We don't know what it is. But I thought that's that is absolute exploitation. Absolutely. I mean, what would spark interviewing her after all of these years? It was. the Oh, you know what? It was the I think it was following up on the death of um, Robin Williams. Maybe that was it. Okay. And oh. it was just really sad. So that's probably my, of, of real life therapists mm-hmm. that are in the media, that mm-hmm. one and Keith Ablo, who I think is just a very problematic individual. But um, what about you? Um, I, those are really the biggest ones as far as real life, you know, type individuals. So I don't know. I, I think I always question, especially with the reality shows, you know, when they're in, who was it? Um, I can't remember. There's been so many reality shows, though, where the person goes into therapy and now that part is being filmed. And yeah, I mean, I, I that think, always you know, makes me cringe. It does. And I know, and you know, all of our Facebook friends or our, our colleagues that are on the mental health mm-hmm. subgroup mm-hmm. Facebook post, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful resource for me. Um, we have a lot of discussions about these things. Like, uh, Dr. Drew comes up. Sure. And, you know, sure. but. And and there are some things recently in the last couple of years that he's made commentary on on people that I found very odd. <clears throat> but I have to say, some of the therapy sessions that they uh, have shown when he was doing celebrity rehab, I thought that he had like a wonderful bedside manner. Oh, I thought and, so too. I loved celebrity rehab. I really liked the way he approached things. And he was practical, but warm, but not treacly you know right. he was he was caring and especially seeing him working with people that were in like immediate emergent detox trauma like oh, to sure. see his expertise mm-hmm. as a medical doctor and as an addiction specialist i thought was amazing that guy takes right. his work seriously I mean, yes you can say what you want to about him but the guy takes his work very seriously yeah absolutely but man i don't know when he has time to sleep because he has one billion jobs doesn't he still do love line at k-rock i think he did it. i think <laughs> oh he started God. again he's like he's like a less crazy ryan seacrest oh my gosh i don't know how he does it he must be cloned but yeah huge celebrity rehab fan yeah it's pretty good. I wanted to take t- Tom Sizemore home with me. And be oh like, you'll God. be okay. Just get away from Heidi Fleiss and you'll be Whoa, fine. Oh, man, that was a, that was a wild that season. season. How long ago was that? Oh, my God. I Do don't you know. Remember? I was in grad school, I think. You know, that was a great oh, portrayal of a toxic relationship. Excellent. Like, those portrayal. two people should never be together, no matter how far they evolve. Oh yeah. They're always going to trigger or you could watch it. And now once again, we get back to editing, but the way they fell back into patterns and you could see them shifting mm-hmm. over Sneaking the course out of, to see each other. And yeah, which again, all part of the mastery of, you know, bringing them on the season together and all of that. But yeah. And, it, and, and some, you know, there's probably some 
associate level producer going, hey, Tom, Heidi is out in the garden. Why don't you go right. check, you know, that kind of thing that we're right. not seeing. Yeah. But to take it back to um, some more of the good and the bad as far as fictional portrayals, we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about Vera Farmiga. Mm-hmm. Um, great actress, just poorly written character, I think, as far yeah. as her, what the choices are. Yeah. Because it just, you know, if you... We don't, I don't necessarily see that there's a balance in how these things are portrayed. What we do is we see therapists that are always crossing the line when we, the, you know, that's got to be less than 1% that does that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, and most therapists, you know, if we look at the reasons why they lose their license, that's not even number one. I mean, confidentiality breaches are the number one reason. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily relationships. And I think all states have a little bit of different laws. So here in California, you can never have a client or a patient whom you've already had a previous relationship with. That's very clear. Very yes. clear. So you cannot start being your ex-boyfriend's therapist. Yeah. Um as far as having sex with former patients, it's the two-year rule. It's two-year right? rule. So, so it should be at least two years before the relationship starts. Yes. But the general consensus or turns sexual. Right. But the general consensus is that it just is not. It's, it is, it is, should it, not happen. It at should all. not happen at all. Yeah. It says like very unique circumstances. But if it's the, going to <laughs> wait right. two years, which I think is really kind of a a, a cop out. I think so, too. It's like a loophole to let people out because... Yeah. Okay, wait. Is there another part of it, though, is you you cannot have the intent of pursuing the relationship? You can't intend to quit the... Stop the relation, the therapeutic relationship... In order to start... In order to start the physical relationship. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's why they put that two-year rule in there, but I feel like it's written as if you accidentally run into them two years later on the street, and then you fall magically in love with each other because it's like you know what i'm sorry so weird i'm just feeling physically i'm like (laughs) actually have a physical reaction to it i mean you know you as a therapist as a clinician even when you're working with some of the hardcore kind of clients we've talked about working with in the past you do you do have feelings about them you have feelings for them and it's your your responsibility to to monitor to maintain to regulate all of that but Ugh, I know the idea that something like, and apparently it used to happen a lot. I mean, we've really come a long way in the since the late seventies, early eighties mm-hmm. you know, across the U.S. Mm-hmm. We've really shored up those rules sure. where it used to really fly right loose and fast. Right. Do you want to talk about maybe a hilarious depiction or something? Yeah. <laughs> what do you like? Well, there's a couple. Um, I mean, a really good one is. Uh, Okay, you know what? You know what's a great example of one that's funny and but a actually, good depiction. But a good depiction is the movie Step Brothers, which I think <laughs> is two thousand eight. And so I think good. Yeah, you know, I was writing my dissertation at the time, I was so stressed out. And that movie made me laugh so hard I must have reset my brain. I just I feel like, like every man I know could watch that all day long I, and never get tired of it. There's something about Will Ferrell that is just He's so approachable, even when he plays these crazy, you know, outlandish characters, you know, right. but his therapist <laughs> and folks, please, is it on? It's on YouTube. Yeah, isn't you can it? just find the clip on YouTube. So just go watch his therapy session on YouTube. And he it's a perfect example of a client completely. Having no filter, no yeah. no sense, no solid sense of self. He immediately falls in love with her, and she holds a boundary really well. Completely, she, does she keeps very putting well. it back on him, yep. right? Yep. But Absolutely. she does show up to the what is it? The, the Catalina mixer. <laughs> Catalina wine mixer. Because he told her that he was going to kill himself. So how, how is he going to kill himself? He's going to hurl himself <laughs> off a cliff into shark infested waters. <laughs> <laughs> and then he introduces her as his girlfriend to his parents. Oh, right. Oh, right. And then Mary Steenburgen. <laughs> oh, wait. Doesn't she say, no, I'm not his girlfriend. Right. I'm his therapist. And Mary Steenburgen <laughs> goes, oh, you're you're adorable or something. Playing like, hard to get. Playing hard to get. Yeah. And then she goes, and you're an enabler. <laughs> it's perfect. So good. Oh, 
Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go back and watch that one again. That was a really good one. But she, oh, oh, she has a great monologue. Not a monologue, but she has two these two lines. She turns to him and she says that this is, was very sweet because it's one of those moments where a therapist is having a moment of intimacy with mm-hmm. their client and giving them appropriate, I'm, I mean, does she say she's proud? I don't know if she says she's proud of what he's done or you, you know, you right. really, you really did giving something some validation. great here. Right. Exactly. She's reinforcing some positive behaviors and, but then she gives this long caveat <laughs> and I want you to understand that that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that we have any kind of relationship <laughs> at all, even though I know you are not hearing me right now. <laughs> so I have to say it. it was really good. Yeah. She's great. Yeah, that God. was a good one. Could you imagine having them as your ther- as your patients? Yeah. So another good one, but that wasn't funny, and this is for if you haven't seen this movie, um, Ordinary People was back in the early '80s. Mary Tyler Moore, Timothy mm-hmm. Hutton. Is it Timothy Hutton? Yeah, Timothy Hutton. Uh, Donald Sutherland plays the dad, and Judd Hirsch is the therapist, and he's um. amazing. This guy. Timothy Hutton, okay, he and his brother are in a boating, in a storm together. They're they're boating, and they're more, you know, they're teenagers, but they're experienced mm-hmm. being on a boat. And his older brother, Bucky, they capsize the boat, and Bucky can't hold on, or Bucky. Mm-hmm. So this poor kid is just... The and Bucky was the golden child of gotcha. the family, and the mother. Oh my God, Mary Tyler Moore, America's sweetheart, is the most cold, ice, uh, ice cold, angry mom, and it's very clear that her favorite child died. Is dead. So is he going in for like trauma? Well, he's had a suicide attempt. He's gotten um, out of. Uh, he's gotten out of a, you know what they would have called a sanitarium. It yeah. was a psychiatric hospital, and he he's a good little actor. I mean, this is a long time ago. The guy's mm-hmm. an adult now, but he is so fragile when he gets out. And Judd Hirsch, there's a scene that felt very real when just all of this emotion is coming out. And he's really decompensating. Oh, you know why? He gets triggered. This very positive, lovely young woman that he met while in the psychiatric hospital who was like, we're going to get through this. We're not going to let this these suicide attempts define us. We're going to get through it. Mm-hmm. And he calls her for support a few months later, and she has committed suicide. Oh, God. So he just spins out. And Judd Hirsch really holds that line between being, you know, this appropriate mentor slash parent, mm-hmm. loving, compassionate, and and completely boundaried. Mm-hmm. Um Although I think some people are going to disagree with me. I think some people didn't like it on the discussion board. Oh, really? But I thought he did a really good job. What about yours? Give an example of yours. Um, no, I mean, I think we would be remiss to not talk about The Sopranos. Yeah. I mean, Dr. half of that show was, <laughs> was in the therapy room. Yeah. Um, and it would, you know, being such a longstanding television show, that's kind of rare to have a therapist as a main character. Yeah. And I'm throughout, I think I'm in a little bit of a disadvantage because it's been so long. It has. And I, I wasn't a complete follower of the show. So. I, I was, I, that was, that was a, I was really, it was interesting because I'm, was not into sort of that sort of mafia, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of, those kind of crime stories at that time in my life. But I do remember being really impressed with that relationship, even though that's not the kind of therapy that I practice. Right. It's not my orientation as hers is. Meaning what? Explain it. So, well, she was, she was very psychodynamic. Do you remember? I mean, she was Mm -hmm. always speaking in psychodynamic terms Mm -hmm. and I tend to work in really more postmodern narrative. Right. Um, with, with elements of, of, uh, analytic or underpinnings, but there were things that I thought were really, you know, she was a solid, very well boundaried individual. Right. And they also did, oh, I know what I was going to tell you. There's one of the storylines that I thought was great is she is, she is assaulted by a man. She sexually assaulted, raped by a guy 
who I think he gets off on a technicality. There was something like he, there wasn't enough proof yeah, or something. He, it, it doesn't follow through. Right. And she has this realization that all she would have to do, because this is that long into the series when she knows what he does now. Sure. You know, and she's sure. having to sort of deal with the fact that she is in a therapeutic relationship with somebody who has done very bad things. Right. And then to say, I could, you know, her struggle is all I'd have to do is tell mm-hmm. him who it was. And that and guy would be taken care he'd of. He'd be taken care of. And she chooses not to. She makes a very tough decision to not do that, to really sit in distress tolerance. And wow. that I thought was really well done because it could have just as easily it, for a a less creative writer or a less talented writer would might have gone for something more. But right. then where do you go from there? I know. Like as a clinician, what He's are you going to do? He's now your hitman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what you, how can you hold any kind of boundary yeah. if you've allowed that to happen? Absolutely. Well, and again, kind of like the realities of that would be of the entire relationship and show is his psychopathy. And yeah. Now, should she have noticed that earlier? Do you think that there was enough? I feel like it went a long okay. time before... The light bulb went off for her. Well, okay, that brings up another. Okay, yeah, she should have known earlier because there's a scene towards the end of the series. I think, it, yeah, it is. It's the last season, and this was disturbing to me because I have never had this happen. And I would, you know, not that I'm goody two shoes by any means, but I would remove myself from a situation if this happened. She's at a dinner party. With her supervisor, which is also a little creepy. Okay. Um, and there's they're all clinicians. Okay. And they're all drinking. And I think her supervisor reveals, well, you're you're the one seeing the, the head of the biggest crime family. Jeez. And she's put on the spot and somebody else, there's another kind of boozed up psychologist or somebody who's like, <laughs> what? Yeah, so tell exist. us about that, you know? And um Wow. She has a reaction to it, but then the discussion is, well, what do you think you're going to be doing with him? He's a sociopath. Mm, there you go. You know, and she, yeah. it's, it's like, it, but that scene is pivotal because it's the light bulb does come on there and she realizes. What am I doing? What am I doing? Right. You know, so she has to, and, and she ends the relationship. She doesn't really end it appropriately. You know, I think <laughs> I would have been a little more careful knowing what that guy was, was capable of, oh. but. It's kind of like the uh, Clarice and Hannibal Lecter relationship. You know? yeah. I mean, come on. He's not going to harm her. <laughs> the world is more interesting with it you is. in it, Clarice. Isn't that the line? I think so. Yeah, I think it's, again, like the creative liberties that are taken. Would a psychopath ever seek out therapy? I don't well, think so. Unless they're trying to purposefully, you know, learn how they should be acting. True. The way they framed it, which I thought was very interesting, and I'm not sure if this was part of the development of the story arc, but he comes in because he's having panic attacks. He thinks he's having a heart attack. Oh, and that's he's right. he's having such right. severe anxiety that he completely shuts down, which is completely possible. Mm-hmm. You know, not mm-hmm. not all the way common for sociopaths to have that right, range of he, affective disorder. Sure. They but feel like they're going to die. They're going to get treatment for it, whatever it is. Exactly. Exactly. But kind of the long-term sustained psychoanalytic treatment. That mm. there's nothing there. I mean, yeah. if, you know, when we were in working in the prisons, it was a cognitive behavioral oh, therapy yeah. and, and basically a discussion of what are the consequences of your actions. Right. If you continue to engage in, in this behavior. Right. Right. So... What was the next one I was going to tell you about? You were talking about the newsroom before we started. Oh, newsroom was great. Yeah. Newsroom is a show. It was uh, three series, three. I'm sorry, three seasons of a series with Jeff Daniels mm-hmm. playing sort of a uh, definitely a right of center news anchor um, and very powerful sort of news influence in politics, and it's written incredibly incredibly well it's by the creator of the west wing right and sunset 66 was it sunset or studio 66 on the sunset strip which only uh-huh. lasted two seasons uh-huh. which was another wonderful 
Okay, now I'm blanking on what his name is, and he, like all of you who are out there in entertainment are going to like become <laughs> such a dork. Look it up. Um, newsroom. But anyway, he has a scene very early on, I think it's in the first season, where he really starts to be overwhelmed by, I think he was like attacked or something. So he goes, Oh, it's Aaron Sorkin is the creator. Yeah. Aaron Sorkin who does wonderful, wonderful dialogue, but he runs over to his therapist's office that he has not seen in years. Oh really? And he's banging on the door and this guy answers the phone. He's, I mean, not answers the phone, answers the door and he says, I'm looking for Dr. So-and-so. Where is it? Well, that's my father. He's, retired or died or something. And it's David Crumholtz who was, has been, a, was a child actor. He's been around for years and I'm telling you that. So he takes him on as a client. He does take him on as a client and it's really challenging because Jeff Daniels is so used to being in control and in charge. He wants it to, you know, he wants therapy to go his way and he right. wants this guy basically to be on call for him or he can, he has to keep telling him you can't just walk in here. You have to make an appointment and you have to come week to week. and Right. But he does make some caveats for this person that's really, you know, is starting to, to decompensate. But David Krumholtz really, yeah, he's a good actor. And I really liked his portrayal. It's warm and caring and very firm and, and boundaried. Oh, good. Another really good, good one. Yeah. So you, do you have a bad one? Well, how about our favorite, like, ridiculous movie from the 80s, Color of Night? <laughs> <laughs> Which, if in the first ten minutes you don't know what is happening, it's what's wrong so with you? Bad. It's so bad. And you wait. We have to. But we also have to. He's he's a therapist, but he's not the therapist right. of that character, right? Because they're in group therapy together. Doesn't he have a trauma? Bruce Will. Okay, okay Bruce, so Willis Bruce Willis is a psychiatrist. Yes, and, and he, a colleague is running a group therapy. On the East Coast, like he's, they, he go, he's like getting away from his trauma and like something yes. happened where he was so traumatized by, I'm sorry, folks, I shouldn't laugh. I should laugh. He's so Trauma's traumatized. A thing. It is. Trauma is horrible. Um, he's so traumatized by his wife's death that he can't see the color red. Is that a real thing? <laughs> I, well, it's I've something, you know, it'd be like, you know, so maybe like. Sort of proposognosia where you can't recognize someone's face. I don't know. Why maybe. did I forget that part? It's called color of color night. night. So, oh my but God. then he goes into this group therapy to address the trauma. And once again, it's you know I don't even know what writers think group therapy is when you're getting this completely. And group therapy works best when it's generally like a homogenous. There, there are things yes. that you do as a therapist when you're constructing your group figuring out if it's the right person to be in that group that's going to interact well. Correct. And like you do screenings, you oh, yeah. pick. So it's very, very cohesive. And it's just never portrayed. I mean, I love Bob Newhart. The Bob Newhart show. <laughs> that's how old I am, folks. The Bob Newhart show was wonderful, but that was, you would never have those people in group right. therapy. So together. he takes over a therapy group that his friend was running, but his friend gets killed. No, he was in it, and his friend gets killed, and then they keep meeting, right? No, he takes over his murdered friend's therapy group. Okay, well, let's, let's okay, for one thing, let's just talk <laughs> According about li- to IMDb. licensure across state lines. Well, That's yeah, you can't fly to a different state and just start therapy. Yeah, it doesn't work. Because it's like, who's the killer, and the killer must be somebody in the group. Right. Um. Isn't Leslie Ann Warren one of the... Leslie Ann Warren, is, oh. oh, she's awesome. She's awesome in everything. That woman should work all the time. She's hilarious. She was in Clue. I know. Remember, we got to I, see... We got to see her. We, yes. we dragged your wonderful husband and wonderful daughter to <laughs> Hollywood Forever Cemetery to watch Clue. And she was there and she did a little there. intro to the movie. But she's not the... I mean, at least her character is interesting and believable. Mm-hmm. She's like like a, a kleptomaniac and a, is she a... A, she's a sex addict too. I think she may be a sex addict, but her I think her relationship portrayal, addict or something. Like yeah, that. like maybe codependent. But there's there's supposed to be a young boy. So here's the thing: is like this is like especially looking at it through the lens of it's it's now over twenty years ago. Looking at this, their portrayal of a trans individual is really bad. Oh, horrible makeup. Okay, it was 1994. Yeah, it was awful. And they but it put, was the 80s. Jesus. <laughs> 
but they put like they there's you know there's it's sort of almost like if it, like a Shakespearean comedy where you're supposed to yeah accept that like oh I don't know that this is the same person that this teenage boy is not a sexy woman in another scene right. and it's right. just laughable. And the fact that Bruce Willis isn't onto it. Well, no wonder you didn't know you were dead in six cents. <laughs> you can't you couldn't figure, figure this out, out the killer and color of night. Bruce, it's, get it's it together. Terrible. Get it together. But it, it's more of just a ridiculous movie, yeah. I guess. And it happens to have a therapist in it. But yeah, there's clearly many, many issues with it. So it's, but do you know it won rat? I think it won the golden raspberry that year <laughs> for being the worst movie of the year. It's, we should watch that again. Maybe oh we can do We can, God. maybe we can have it, make it a into one. a drinking game or something. <laughs> Done. <clears throat> so, okay. Here's one that is a wonderful recent movie, a, a really great movie and great actors. And the therapist, does something really amazing and then it goes really wrong. Okay. And it's the movie uh Fifty Fifty from mm. gosh, maybe five, six years ago with Joseph Gordon Levitt and Seth Rogen. And I'll tell you what I really like about the movie. Is this this is two two friends, uh you know, early twenties. No, I guess they're like mid twenties. <clears throat> One's sort of working on his career, uh, has a flaky girlfriend and a stoner best friend. And he mm-hmm. gets diagnosed with a tumor on his spine. And it's really serious. And I think 50-50 is like his chances of living. Right, That's what terminal. the whole thing is about. Sure. So his girlfriend, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, who I, I just can't The only thing I like her on is that episode of Black Mirror. That's Dear the only. God. She was really good in that, but the, she bugs the hell out of me. And what everything was the else. movie that we watched at your house that one night that she was in that was so awful? What was it? Was it a Matt Damon movie where he plays the psychic? Yes. It's like she was in a completely different movie. She was so bad. <laughs> she was so bad. Like <laughs> she it was like. Did is she reading a different script? Oh or my god! It was awful. Poor thing. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot about that one. But you're oh. You were great in Black Mirror. I thought that was like phenomenal. Okay. Anyway, she plays a really terrible woman that, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, can't handle her boyfriend's illness. So she just kind of runs away. So his support system is kind of falling apart and he seeks out counseling and gets an intern played by uh, Anna Kendrick. Right. And one, I mean, what I like about what the movie did was you see this incredible relationship grow between Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen, mm-hmm. which I don't think that we see enough healthy, you know, emotionally, n- intimate. emotionally intimate relationships between heterosexual right, men. Right. I mean, this was an ab, you could, this, these guys absolutely loved each other yes. and were Seth Rogen has a There's a, anyway, I highly recommend seeing it. It's really well done. Mm-hmm. And you, you get to see actual character development arcs and people growing as individuals. I thought that was really well. Now what's wrong with it? <laughs> or wait, here's another thing that was really good is that Anna Kendrick plays this intern, like a trainee. Right. And her, her level of awkwardness I thought was so spot on because she's right in that beginning stage of working in like a clinic, you know, mm-hmm. or working as someone's associate. So she's a little bit more affordable. And here and you get a client that is that's like your age and going to die. Right. With, Which is a very interesting, and, sure. and you know, and that's, that's a real situation for anyone studying mm-hmm. to be any kind of mental health clinician is, you know, you're, we have people, you know, generally coming to the field older, but there are people that come in their mid to late twenties and you're dealing with major life-changing events right. and trauma. And so she does something. This is a dead giveaway. And I was like, who wrote this? Because it really pissed me off. Is that she awkwardly reaches across and places her hand on his knee. Like, But the, her acting choice of it was really good. Because right. she does it very mechanically. Right. And he goes, what was that? And her response is... 
oh, I'm, so I suppose, I mean, that's kind of what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to, yeah. it's supposed to be comforting. Touch should help in a situation like this. <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, you can, you can touch someone in a therapeutic relationship. You can touch someone with your eyes. Right. You can convey right. that compassion and that support without touching any kind of, you can, without putting your arm around them or anything like that, that you, because you're there in that moment. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, I was like, rut row, yeah. what just happened there? And then of course, two scenes later, they're in a relationship. And at the end, you know, after his cancer has, his surgery has been successful and, you know, he's going to live, he's going to live and everything's now shot in this glowing kind of right. amber light. She's all that he's happy and he has like a real girlfriend. And I'm like, but wait, what are, you were just glossing over the fact that this young woman basically just did the biggest trans transgression right. that you can do in a relationship. And once again, here we are going here. I'm catching myself saying this young woman. Mm-hmm. So I'm catching myself saying like, why do we have another woman right. in this position right. being written this way and being portrayed this way? Right. So that's my rant on that one. What do you think? I think it's interesting because it went so well and then again got fucked up. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's going it's in the just right direction. Me thinking, oh, good. Oh, good. This will be a good portrayal. And there are young female therapists. I mean, my entire cohort, cohort was women. We had two guys. And it, so they're out there and they're getting work, but. Just the sexualization of it all is just, I don't know. I mean, which came first? Is it um, media sexualizing it? And then, you know, I think, well, is that going to be embedded in people's heads? Are they going to walk in my office now and think that? Or is it one of those um, professions that kind of has that weird stigma to it, like a librarian or I don't know. Well, it's just, it, no, it's so many point. different thoughts for me. Yeah. It brings up a lot. And that's, it's one of the things that I think is, you know, using dancers as an example, mm-hmm. like dancers are, are, you know, highly trained, um, highly trained artists. Right. And yet they are portrayed in media as being, you know, just one step away from hookers. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's completely unfair. It's just a stereotype that we do. And that really should fall on writers to be more creative. Yeah. um, And more, more honest. But once again, many writers are, are once again, they are expressing their perspective on something. And maybe we need to crank this open a little bit more. And I mean, just the Mm -hmm. diversity of therapists that are out there. I mean, God, no two are alike. They definitely don't fit into the Mm-mm, category of not like at all. hot bombshell or old, you know, buttoned up lady with glasses and hair pulled back. I thought, of course, I don't think Meryl, I've only seen Meryl Streep do one, one movie, two movies that I didn't care for. But there's one where she, God, what is it called? It's with her and Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman is her client. Who's a woman who's come out of who's in her late thirties has come out of a toxic relationship. So she starts dating in like a twenty three year old who is Meryl Streep's son. Oh, and she mean? actually handles it really well. Like huh. she's really distressed by it, and right. she has mixed feelings because she wants her client to continue to individuate, but she also has to sit with. She does have a problem with the age difference, even though as a therapist, she doesn't have a problem with the age difference when it comes right. to her own son. She does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting. She should have passed her on to a different therapist. <laughs> yeah, she probably should have. Yeah, she probably should have. But, she, oh, you know how they'd get away on that? She doesn't figure it out until really late in the movie. In the movie. <laughs> in the movie. She, she doesn't figure dun, it out until late in the movie. Um, so should we end with, um, something from one of our followers on Facebook that wanted to know about a therapist's opinion on a particular character? And I can't answer this question because I don't watch Star Trek. Well, I knew something was wrong with you. (laughs) I just knew something was wrong with you. So this is from Kelly on Facebook and she says, I've always wanted to know a real therapist's opinion about counselor Troy from Star Trek Next Generation. But I guess that's neither current nor crime related, which I told her it does not have to be. It doesn't have to be. 
um, because it is was filmed here in LA at Paramount Studios. Oh, so I do have I, I do have some uh, an opinion on this. Tell because us about Counselor Troy because I don't know who that is. Is it a man or a woman or? Oh God! What, how are we friends? Because I just I'm don't, a Star Wars fan, oh, so that's I why. do not that's watch it. Star Trek. You're, no, and I'm not. I mean, like I, I, it's just never clicked for me. But I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Okay, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. So in Star Trek: The Next Generation, which I believe, okay, I just moved to Chicago, so it premiered in '84, '85, maybe. Yeah, I think '85. Maybe 86. Um, this is the one with Patrick Stewart as mm-hmm. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And <laughs> they have a counselor, Counselor Troy, Deanna Troy, played by an amazing uh, English-Greek actress, uh, Marina Sirtis. Um, and it, the way it's set up is that she is a, she's a mixed race, or she's mixed species, species or race um she's half human half betazoid and stop smirking at me <laughs> i'm sorry i'm just like you did guys, you do a dissertation you guys, before you could just have seen the look on her face just, <laughs> just disdain for this information i have i'm blown away okay so blown anyway away. she comes from a planet that the the inhabitants are all they can they speak but they're also fully telepathic and okay. the primary form of communication is telepathy and it's a very open and liberal and progressive society because you kind of have you to can't be. hide anything really. <laughs> so like they're one of the running jokes is that marriage ceremonies are held in the nude. Gotcha. And there's a lot of nudity on the planet. And I think her, yeah, her father was human. And so, uh, counselor Troy is, she says because she's half Beta Z, she doesn't have full telepathy except with other Beta Zs. So gotcha. she can communicate with her mom telepathically and other Beta Zs. But with other species, mm-hmm. she's just a very skilled empath, which would be a pretty great superpower to have as a therapist, as a therapist is that you're, you, you know, someone might be telling you something, but you're able to read and, you know, sort of um, parallel experience their emotional state. Gotcha. And she uses that um, throughout the series. Pretty pretty interesting. They they write her in. In fact, they developed her character more towards the end of the series using her abilities in very creative ways, which was really great. Hmm. But she's the ship's counselor, and there's one... She has a... She, they don't show her doing it all the time, providing counselor, but she is really great. Like the captain will say, well, how do you think this is going to affect the crew members and what's the general feeling? And sometimes she'll say, well, I can tell you what my beta Z side is telling me about everyone on the ship and what's right. what they're feeling. There's a lot of fear. There's this, there's this, but she also, you know, is trained and degreed as a counselor. So she's like a con- the psychological consultant as yeah. well as providing clinical services. Absolutely. And I thought one of the, the greatest examples I thought which was a very interesting device for the show is that she they're in some anomaly in space that affects her ability to use her empathic mm-hmm. abilities and she's still carrying on doing her her therapy mm-hmm. but even the way she says she she said what if you suddenly couldn't see color this is what I'm experiencing right now is mm-hmm. I only just have... like Bruce Willis and <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. But she can't, she only has half of her abilities. And, um, but what was interesting is her saying, or someone pointing out to is like, you're still trained. You still have training. You're still good at this. Right. And this is, you know, just because you don't have this ability right now, doesn't mean that you don't have insight. And then they show how she is like, she kind of gets over that. She does because she's, she's counseling one of the characters that's just come out of a really bad breakup and then comes in like sort of a day later and says, everything's great. I've met somebody new. He works down in engineering. We got this great relationship. And she's like, you know, I know I don't have my superpowers, but that's a, that's a little quick to be recovering from a relationship, which, you know, is kind of the same, kind of the same kind of question we would ask in a therapy session of like, or an observation yeah. we would make, like, let's take a look at this. Let's let's take a look. There, you guys are connecting a little quickly there, aren't right, you? Right, right. You know, I like that. Yeah. So she did a really great job, and I actually, 
I geeked out. I was at a birthday dinner one night mm-hmm. and was seated next to Marina Sirtis, and she's oh, like no. amazingly beautiful, like stunningly, stunningly beautiful, and really sweet, and is like so not. I think we're also going to have to do what we'll talk about this more in our stalking episode too, (laughs) because, you know, we, as people on the other side of the screen watching, you know, watching, we, 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 we uh, project attributions onto these characters and the actors that we think play them, you know, like thinking people thinking Sarah Michelle Geller is actually Buffy. She's not, she's a mom of two kids and you know, but she was lovely. Were you already a clinician? When you, yes, I was. I had my master's then, and it was. How neat! Yeah, I wanted to pretend not to know her. Like, oh, and you're who, and you're where? Like, what a lovely accent you have! And I didn't. I was like a red faced (laughs) and stammering. Like, I'm a a huge fan of the show. I'm completely turning. Let me tell you your biography. (laughs) In that episode, like where you did this. That's that was totally. And you're half Greek, and (laughs) oh, and that creepy. I know everything about you. Um, so yeah, she. I think cool. she was a really good representation of a therapist. But then it's also, you know, literary. Uh, we have to have some uh, literary leniency or creative license in it because it's supposed to be three hundred years in the future, and sure. you know, societies look different. And sure. what's pri- what's privacy going to be like when we're surrounded by tep- telepaths? Right, right. Good note to end on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. What else did we want to say? Oh, I wanted to say something so cool that happened to me this weekend. I was back. Um, I was back south um, seeing my family that live in the Atlanta area. And I was able to meet someone who's a big fan of the show. So Heather Tuggle, I had the best time talking with you. And I took copious notes of your suggestions for future shows. So we are going to very soon be focusing on why people are drawn into cults. I love it. I think it's a great idea. It's it's very timely right now, so we will talk about that. That sounds like a great future episode. Looking forward to it. Yeah, folks, you can reach us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And then our email is la.soconfidential at gmail.com. So feel free to send us more suggestions of topics that you would like to hear about. And let us know what you think about um, a Facebook Live. What we're thinking about doing on our Facebook page in the next month or so is recording one of our sessions live. Um, I haven't done it yet, so we're going to have to figure it out how to do it. Yeah. But um, tell us if you'd like, if you if that's something you'd be into. And if you would be into it, how would you help get us as many viewers as you possibly can? <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, please um, rate and subscribe to us on uh, iTunes. That would help us out a lot. And other than that, we will see you next time on LA. Not so. Confidential. Bye, folks. Take care. Bye.